0: This is Transmission Interrupted, the podcast series from Need Tech, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center. Welcome to Transmission Interrupted from Need Tech.
1: Hello, and welcome to Transmission Interrupted. My name is Lauren Sauer, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the director of the Special Pathogens Research Network. For those of you not yet familiar with NETEC, our mission is to set the gold standard for special pathogens preparedness and response across health systems in the U.S. with the goal of driving best practices, closing knowledge gaps, and developing innovative resources. NETEC works alongside and in cooperation with the CDC and is funded by ASPR, the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response. Joining me today as co-host is Ms. Rachel Lukadu, a public health lawyer and assistant professor at UNMC with me.
2: Hey, Rachel. Hi, Lauren.
1: Rachel and I are coming together for the fifth episode in our series about pathogens and pop culture. Pathogens are everywhere, and we're going to bring you some of the best and brightest experts to get a reality check on what is science and what is fiction in some of our favorite pop culture media. On today's episode, we're branching out of movies, TV shows, and books, and talking board games with our very special guest, Matt Leacock. Matt Leacock has been designing board games since he was very young and full-time since 2014. He is best known as a designer of cooperative games including Pandemic, Daybreak, and Forbidden Island. Pandemic, first published in 2008, has sold over 5 million copies worldwide and is available in over 30 languages. And his latest game, Daybreak, challenges players to stop climate change, something that is definitely near and dear to our hearts. He lives in Sunnyvale, California, and we're so thrilled to have him join us. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So I am very excited to talk board games with you. I love board games. And when Rachel and I were first discussing reaching out to you, we thought the first question we wanted to ask is, how did you get into creating tabletop games? It's such a very specific job. And to be able to do it full-time since 2014 is amazing. So could you tell us a little bit more about your background?
0: Yeah, sure. I I mean, I've been into games since I was a little kid. I remember some of my favorite experiences as a kid was receiving a a board game for my birthday or for Christmas. And that high was always tempered shortly after by opening it and playing it, because I was always disappointed (laughs) in, in the games that I got as a kid. So I, what I did is I would just try to change them and make them better and, and make them more fun for myself. And I never stopped doing that. So I got into it as a hobby in high school and college and really wanted to see if I could create my own game. I never dreamed of being a full-time game designer. That was sort of like being an astronaut, not something you really thought you could do. I printed off my first game, 200 copies off of Inkjet printer. And I packed him up and I shipped him to Germany and went to a a trade show there, had no idea what I was doing, and lost a lot of money. But I met a lot of people and had some great experiences. And uh, it wasn't until 2008 when Pandemic came out, my first published game, that really doors started opening up to me uh, because that game just kind of took
1: off. Yeah, well, it just speaks to the fact that pandemics are absolutely in our world, for better or for worse, and everyone's talking about them. And I think everyone's still talking about your game.
2: Wait, so Matt, Pandemic was your first published game?
0: Yeah, I don't count the one that, that came off my printer. <laughs> it doesn't really, doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. But uh, yeah, yeah, I started working on Pandemic in um, around 2004. Okay. And uh, it came out in 2008. So it took me roughly three years to design and then another year with the publisher Yeah, it was sort of a sleeper hit. It started to pick up some sales, and then they were reprinting it, and then it kind of took on a life of its own.
2: That's a pretty incredible board game debut. It's like one of the most successful board games, I feel like, of all time. So that's pretty impressive. Well done, Matt. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks. So what made you want to create a pandemic-related game that seems pretty niche? What what got you into that?
0: It was really a, a confluence of a lot of different things, I think. So I had played my first cooperative game, uh, because I I didn't think cooperative games could be fun, honestly. I thought they were something, you know, some educational tool that you play at school and really kind of hate a little bit. But I played one in in 2000 with my wife, and um, what we noticed was that we really enjoyed the game, whether we won or lost. And this was really in stark contrast with some other games that I played with her, where, you know, it'd be like a heavy competitive game or negotiation game where I might win the game, but feel terrible at the end because, you know... Sometimes the feelings that that you create in the game like bleed over into the real world, but it, that didn't happen with cooperative games. Even if we lost, we really enjoyed it. So I thought, wow, this is an amazing format. I want to see if I can design a game kind of like that. And around 2004, SARS was very much in the news, and so that was kind of percolating. And I've always been really interested in like chain reactions and cellular automa and you know like emergent behaviors and systems design and so on and so. I think all of those kind of things came together, and I started just kind of sketching out some ideas on a big piece of newsprint with a Sharpie. And that's sort of what led to the genesis of it, but um, it was just a lot of uh, iteration on it. I, I caught onto some mechanism pretty early on where I could see how the disease building up in intensity could be very scary. And I felt my heart kind of beating a little fast when I'm just sitting here with a piece of newsprint and some like little wooden cubes. I thought, oh, I, you know, this this is something. And so I, I, I built a whole game around that.
2: I love that focus, too, on cooperation. Monopoly has, like, broken up some families. So this is good. This is a game where people can come together and not be angry afterward.
1: If only we could yeah, get probably. that into the actual approach of pandemic preparedness and response. A little more cooperation might do us all a bit of good. So could you tell us what the process looked like for creating Pandemic, so, and and by creating Pandemic, of course, I mean creating the game Pandemic, you know, did you, <laughs> did you have any input from subject matter experts, did you do your own research, what does that creative process look like?
0: Well, I so I trained as a graphic designer and then a user experience designer, and so a lot of uh, what I was focused on was really the play experience and, like, how accessible and how learnable the game was and how exciting it was. I think I had some background knowledge. I mean, I had read The Hot Zone by uh, Richard Preston, which I think think is about Marburg or Ebola, one of the two. And that scared the crap out of me.
1: I think every single one of these calls has started with someone saying, well, they read The Hot Zone and then.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that made it uh, it There's certainly a lot of drama there. But it was mostly just pop culture, you know, like 12 Monkeys, movies, things like that. Um, I didn't go into it really with the feeling like, oh, I'm going to make this educational or that the veracity was really important. Honestly, this is my first game, right? So it was really like, hey, can I make a game that's fun and that people will want to play? But I was pretty happy that it, it did seem to hold up when I showed it to people. I think it was because it's a pretty high-level game, right? You're not talking about the specifics of researching diseases, your you know, heroes. It's more of a cinematic journey. So yeah, but it wasn't like something where I, I dug deep into uh, the, the research for this one.
1: When you look back, do you think, oh, I maybe should have done a little more research? Or does that actually make it a little easier for people to play the game?
0: Um, I think it's it may be a little bit easier to step into it because it's pretty high level. I don't have a whole lot of regrets about it. I think mostly because, you know, I have shown it to people who have, have played it, who have been in the field. And I think mostly they're just excited to be the hero of a game. There's so many games out there right now that have like a fantasy theme where you're fighting orcs or you're a business tycoon or something like that. And this is a a new topic for people to, you know, I mean, like if you're working at the CDC, for example, I had had a friend of a friend who was actually, I think, in West Africa at one point who had had played the game and, you know, mostly just excited that um, they were they had a game of their own, right? It it wasn't uh, they were actually appearing in, in this sort of media.
2: That's neat. And you mentioned 12 Monkeys, which I don't think was on our radar as a possible pop culture So that may be a new episode for us. So thank you, Matt. But yeah, I was looking at your website and I saw there were like 12 or 13 different expansion packs for Pandemic. There's all these different iterations that you've created on it. And I guess I just wondered how are them all different and was your approach different for each of those or what has that process been like?
0: Yeah, the game has really blossomed out into a, a full line. I think there's maybe close to 20 different Pandemic products now. But you have to understand that it's Pandemic's like at least at least a couple things. On the one hand, it's like a world where you've got people who are running around cooperating and, and trying to uh, take care of outbreaks and research cures and so on. But then there's also like the underlying game engine called the Pandemic System. And there's been a lot of games built on that. So when I first designed the game, actually, I actually didn't think it would be like robust enough or stable enough to, to create expansions. And I, I was, <laughs> it was really quite wrong. It was very flexible. So many of those games that you see are really, they use the the board game's threat engine, Mm. as it were. So the game's got a way of like controlling an antagonist. In Pandemic, it's um, viruses, right? But there's other ones where I've used it in Fall of Rome to control the the flow of barbarians into the Roman Empire or in Rising Tide, where you're trying to hold back rising floodwaters in the Netherlands. or, Or there's even a Star Wars version. Um, that's that's probably the bulk of them. But there, I did three different expansions with a colleague of mine, Tom Layman, for the the base game, and those uh, introduce another virulent strain. So there's one strain of the disease which is nastier that you have to keep control of. There's another one where there's a mutant virus that behaves a little bit differently, or a mutation. And then there's an expansion called In the Lab, where you actually collect samples out in the field and you try to sequence things and To be honest with you, Tom did a little bit more of the research on that end. And mostly what we were trying to do is avoid any kind of howlers, you know, things that were just so misrepresented that it would take people out of the play experience, but wanted to open up new ways of of cooperating and new ways of like solving puzzles together. So the lab challenge in particular gives you a totally new way to find cures to the disease by sequencing things. And so, yeah, we we wanted to provide different ways to play and uh, at the same time, not not push it too far and really, really misrepresent things.
2: Has there been any consideration of doing a COVID expansion back? Or do you think that would be no fun for anybody since we already lived it?
0: <laughs> we really want to, I guess, I guess the way to put it would be like, remain, uh, maintain some sort of respectful distance from, from COVID for a while. Um, the last thing I want to do is be seen as like trying to capitalize on like human suffering. You know, that wasn't real. I <laughs> rely on my list of life goals. But uh, that said, there, there is a potential for us to put out a new edition. At, at some point, we we do have some expansion material that uses the language that we're all familiar with, right? I mean, when I started working on the game, people didn't know what social distancing was. You know, masking was something you did when you're sanding, you know, wood. It was something you did when you went to the grocery store. So, they, I mean, there's just so much more general awareness that we are able to take a lot of that, a lot of those concepts and package it up and it kind of remains to be seen when we would release that but uh, that material is is designed and available so uh yeah stay tuned we'll see we'll see if that will, will come out at some point
1: yeah Rachel and I have talked so much about how these words and this the terminology this sort of lexicon that we used to just use almost exclusively professionally right that it was like public health workforce was using it or healthcare workforce was using it has really entered the public lexicon and the public has a much broader understanding of infectious disease threats, infectious disease and pandemic mitigation and response. And it, it, it must, I'm sure it makes your work both easier and harder on the game, right? Because especially with how political things in the pandemic got, I'm sure, you know, the way people react to the game has just grown immensely. The various reactions people can have when they play.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I saw two different big reactions when COVID hit. I mean, one was, "Oh my God, you know, I'm living this. I don't need to play a game uh, about it, right?" If you're if you're playing games to escape, then this was not necessarily the one for you. But then on the flip side, there were a lot of people who played it as a way to kind of um, kind of take control, uh, have a feeling, a sense of autonomy. Could you know they could actually actively fight against it and feel good about that? So um, yeah, very very different kinds of reactions to it.
1: Yeah, and I know you saw a surge in popularity during COVID nineteen of the game. So, can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you?
0: Yeah, it was it was really quite disorienting. I mean, uh, to me, pandemics were something that happened to other people in other parts of the world. <laughs> I mean, by definition, they're the whole world. But uh, you know, my experience with reading the material around SARS and and swine flu and so on um, in the uh, early part of the two thousands was was one of like being remote. But when covid hit it was i guess it'd be early 2020 santa clara county where we live was one of the first counties that was infected and my my wife actually contracted it extremely early it was like either late january or late february and uh she had a she had a real bad case you know so i and we're dealing with that and also just seeing this topic that i've been kind of like adjacent to for so long being so newsworthy and then there was a lot of uh media attention as well so i ended up doing like a Op-ed for the New York Times, even about the game. And what was what was great about the game is that it's a cooperative experience where you're you're all coming together to 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 fight the disease. And it you know it emphasizes themes of cooperation and coordination and and communication and and that sort of thing. And it wasn't one where you know you're the virus trying to (laughs) trying to wipe out humanity. I I think it would have been a lot harder for me to to do any kind of uh, interviews or, or talk about the game much if it was the other way. But I did like how the game was actually talking about those things. That, that seems so critically important, especially in the, the early days.
1: Well, I mean, no matter how people feel about actual pandemics, it's clear that the game is incredibly popular. Have you received feedback from people who are working in the field of infectious disease or pandemic response on the game? What has it been like?
0: The feedback has been almost universally positive. Uh, with one exception, we, we came out with three games called Pandemic Legacy, and they're like, story-driven games and they're really big boxes and the big box needed to be illustrated and the illustrator was covering it with lots of you know quote sciency things and uh one of the textures that was employed was like these uh i think it was like a molecular structure diagram and it had these carbon bonds and the bonds are drawn incorrectly and that really got on a lot of people's nerves so <laughs> the only the only threads i've seen online about complaints about the science in the game have been about those uh the representation of those chemical bonds on the box cover
1: so not even, not even your fault, right?
2: <laughs> well, Matt, I can tell you, I have been at, honestly, multiple public health meetings where we have played your game. Many times it's been like the decompress activity will play pandemic, which is, that was definitely pre-COVID. I think post-COVID, maybe people were like, oh, we're playing this in real life right now. But yeah, so it has been well-received among the people I've worked with. But I also should admit that Pre-COVID, I played some of those games that were more focused on creating the deadliest pathogen possible and wiping out humanity after COVID, not so much. But you touched on this, how you wanted your game to be more collaborative and more positive than that. So I guess, tell us a little bit more about that choice and what you think is the benefit of taking that approach. Yeah, I'm not sure
0: that that choice was really conscious at the beginning. Um, I think some of it comes out of uh, it being a cooperative game. But when we were developing the game, I was working with a publisher, It's a very small company at the time. He commissioned a cover painting and the the painter sent in some sketches of what it should look like. And I just had this really immediate negative visceral reaction to the first sketch, which showed like mayhem, like lots of people in uh, suits running around and, uh, you know, fires and things that look like they might have been a pile of burning bodies, you know, just really scary stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, no, you know, that's not what this game is about. And, uh, you know, I wasn't used to art directing game covers, but I'm like, you know, I want to see the team first and foremost on the front. I want it to show the global scale. And I want, you know, there's got to be a diverse cast. And can we get like a, can we get a, you know, female scientist front and center? And, and then, um, got those sketches back. And then with the second edition, they took it even further. And it's just just wonderful to see because it really captures what the game is about. It's about like a multidisciplinary team working together on a problem that's bigger than any one of them. And so it was only when I saw that, that picture and had something to react to that I really understood what the game was, you know, what the emotions of the game were and what the purpose of it was.
1: Yeah, you know, when you said that you were surprised that people were coming home from their day jobs of fighting the pandemic to play your game Pandemic, to me, I think it, it that cooperative piece that you were just describing and that sort of vision for what it could be like was probably pretty cathartic, you know, and something that you're not getting in your day job in the early days of fighting the pandemic. So maybe you come home and you find a better place within the board game to, to see what it could be like.
0: Yeah, I think that feeling of uh, like autonomy and, and control is, is is really powerful and, and really uh, energizing for people. So yeah, I would hope that it gave some folks some kind of release like that. That's great.
2: We're working forward to the future. I know when we were going through your bio, we mentioned that you've got this new game, Daybreak, and that's focused more on climate change, which Lauren and I get pretty excited talking about climate change and health, and that's something that's come up a lot in this podcast, which we've been a little bit surprised by, I think. But tell us more about Daybreak. What led you to create that game and, and just a little bit more about the game?
0: Yeah, so we're uh, where pandemic, it was sort of like I wanted to create a game just because I wanted to create a game and I wanted to explore doing a cooperative game. And it was it was just sort of an open brief. It was like, you know, explore whatever. Daybreak was really different. I had been feeling a lot of like climate anxiety, didn't really understand the problem of climate change very well, was feeling really overwhelmed by it and wondered, you know, what can I do? I, I've, I've had this game pandemic about viruses. It's been successful. You know, can I do something about climate change? There's actually a climate scientist um, in Scotland who wrote to me and asked me to do a version of Pandemic centered on the climate crisis, saying, hey, you know, we really got to do this. This is very important, and and outlined some ideas. And I read them, and I, I kind of almost immediately loved the idea of doing a cooperative game about climate change, but didn't think the Pandemic like threat system was right for it. I thought it was too important, and it really, in this case, really, the game should model what's going on, so when people play it, they understand the systems involved and what they can do and what the solutions are and so on. So I, I, I jumped into like researching the topic and, and spent some time with that. And while I was doing it, I, I, there's a person who wrote on Twitter about how, what pandemic taught us about the pandemic. You know, we need, we need something like this for climate change. Um, Matteo Menapace, an Italian designer. I reached out to him and we started chatting and we, we, we started having meetings and pretty soon those meetings were weekly. And, and before long, we were actually working on this game together that ultimately became Daybreak. And we went through this big trough of despair as we you know, read all the research around it, but ultimately started to find ways that we could model a solution in our reading. And it took us about two years to develop the game. And we did it in conjunction with, ultimately, with a lot of the sources that we were referencing jumped on board to help us write content for the game. So we worked with Project Drawdown and, and the Red Cross, Red Crescent Climate Center and a lot of other subject matter experts. So that was super rewarding. Our goals were, first and foremost, we want to create a game that's fun because we didn't want people to you know, have to suffer through it or anything like that. We wanted people to be excited to play the game. But our other objective was really trying to get, get across a lot of the concepts, the solutions, and the stakes involved in the game just by playing it. So you play it, you have a lot of fun, but underneath it all, you're, you're beginning to internalize all the dynamics of you know, what the stakes are and what the solutions are. And then we went even further. So if you're interested in any one of the cards, you can scan it on your phone and it takes you to a really robust website where you can read all about the different solutions, whether they're policies or technologies, and then actually take action on them if you want to.
1: You know, Matt, the, just hearing you talk through that process, one of the tools we use in preparedness and response pretty regularly to prioritize and plan and essentially identify gaps in our preparedness is running exercises. And it almost feels like these games are really robust exercise that could actually be used for true planning purposes have you ever thought about the potential that this approach to problem solving could have in the actual environment where we're doing the work to to find solutions to climate change to try to stop pandemics to try to respond to infectious disease threats it seems like there's a natural connection there
0: yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, Pandemic's been used in medical schools to teach communication and team building skills. Mm-hmm. Um, in one case, in the University of uh, Leicester Medical School, they they actually graded people. They would sit them down, have them play Pandemic, actually rate them on all lots of different. You know, basically code their behaviors, <laughs> see what the performance was, communicate. You know, Delta's how. You know what the, what their behaviors are, how they could change, have them play again, and and see. You know, behavior changes based on that, which is like this great laboratory way of like looking at how a medical team behaves in, the, in a simulation, as opposed to like showing a PowerPoint saying, hey, these behaviors are important. I mean, it's a, it's a very different kind of approach. And then when you're looking at Daybreak, it's even further. It's not just communication and collaboration skills. It's it's really like you learn so many things, not just the specific names of different solutions, but you learn about like the time value of money, opportunity cost, or the cost of early action versus like more efficient actions down the road after you've had some time to invest in them you learn about the trade-offs between like doing a lot of mitigation or adaptation you can learn how like if you, if you pour all the money you have into adaptation that's great but you're not going to solve the problem and it's all done just through simple game mechanisms you know we're not trying to teach you that by reading a big long page you just internalize it by by playing the game so yeah i think it would be a really useful model I maybe mean, a high level model mind you you know we're not we're not going to be teaching things to experts in, in these these niches, but it's, it's a pretty useful way to get across a, a big picture of what's going on.
1: So what I'm hearing is you want to come teach an MPH class at our college. I see. This podcast is a recruiting <laughs> arm. here. Uh... All the giant <laughs> trap. No, but that's great. I mean, I think, you know, we always struggle with how to, when you're working with SMEs and they might have all of the technical knowledge, but not necessarily those soft skills that we need in the emergency response phase. Um, No offense to any of our SMEs, people have different skills and capabilities and and oftentimes in emergencies, people are coming together for the first time in new teams and they have different styles of working, they have different styles of problem solving, and maybe we need more technical experts sitting down and playing games together. Yeah,
0: that sounds great.
2: Well, Matt, what other new games do you have coming up? I'm almost thinking, as we were talking about this, I was thinking about how with climate change, we see an increase in vector borne diseases. So, potentially new pandemics. I'm thinking maybe a daybreak pandemic crossover event, just, uh-huh. just for thought. You can get that, that one for free.
0: Well, I tell you, there is, a, uh, there is a pandemic card in Daybreak. So, you know, there's a little bit of a crossover there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a uh, daybreak card in Pandemic yet, but we'll see if we can work that in.
2: Well, what else is on the horizon? Any other expansion packs or all new things?
0: Well, this fall has been really big for me. We had uh, the fourth game in the Forbidden series. That's uh, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, uh, Forbidden Sky. Forbidden Jungle came out um, just recently. So that's been a lot of fun to see. And then I partnered up with the uh, designer of Ticket to Ride to do a Ticket to Ride legacy game. And also with uh, Rob Davio, who I did the Pandemic Legacy series with. So. And then uh, next year, I'm, I'm venturing into the, the realm of um, dexterity games. So I've got like, like a skill in action game coming out, which is very different for me. And then a few other ones that I can't really talk about. But uh, yeah, there, there's, there's more coming.
2: Blanket. Can you tell us, just because I don't know, what is a dexterity game?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. So in this one, you're uh, actually flicking little pieces across the table. There's no board involved. But there's like little toy-like components that you manipulate with your hands and, and take like little skill shots and so on.
2: That's cool. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, it was fun to work on something um I don't know it really takes advantage of the physical space, right it's a it's a board game, so you know why not really emphasize the toy like nature of all the components and that's that's been a lot of fun to work on in the garage.
1: I'm sure this isn't like asking a parent who their favorite child is, but do you have a favorite board game that you've created?
0: Oh, I guess my my pat answer to that is whatever I'm currently working on is always the one I'm most interested in because after I'm done with them, I mean they go on the shelf and I, I may not play them for years and years majority. <laughs> <in the drawer. laughs> But the one that I'm currently working on is always, yeah, that's that's the one that, I, that I'm crazy
1: about. That's not too different from writing a research grant. It's like the favorite one is the one you're working on. And then once you get it, you're like, Ugh. put it on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> well, what about board games that you enjoy playing? Are there any that you like to play when you're not working on your own games?
0: Oh, yeah. I, they fall into two different categories, um, kind of depending on the groups of people I'm playing with. So uh, there's a lot of, like, lighter party games. Uh, there's one called Just One which is really approachable and easy to learn, where you have to come up with a single clue in order to get someone to guess an answer. And there's other games like Codenames and Decrypto, which I, I really love. In the more strategy space, I, I play a lot of games by uh, Reiner Knizia, uh, whether it's Tigers and Euphrates or Quest for El Dorado. There are so many games out there. I mean, uh, I just came back from Germany, where the world's largest consumer trade show is every year. It's about 200,000 people getting together and I don't know how many games there were at least a thousand, maybe 1200 or more new games just this year. So there's there's a lot out there.
1: Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Anything else that you want us to know about Pandemic or Daybreak or anything else you have on the horizon?
0: Well, Daybreak is uh, just going to backers right now. So we crowdfunded it and all the people who ordered their copy should be getting them like within the week. So that's very exciting. And it should be in retail shortly after. So sometime probably late November, you'll be able to to find that we are offering discounts for educators so you can check that out if you're interested in that for your for your classes if for are teaching anything yeah i'm just excited to see this finally come out after i think it's been like three and a half years since we started on it so it's, it's been a quite a marathon
1: and can you tell us your website again where people can check that out
0: yeah you can find out all about my games at leacock.com
1: well we really appreciate you joining us today this was an exciting new foray for pandemics and pop culture but it sounds like we have a lot more pandemic related board games on our horizon at least playing them even if we're not talking about them on the podcast for those of you listening at home thank you so much for tuning into this episode on pandemic the board game we hope you'll join us for future episodes on a wide range of topics from healthcare worker safety to personal protective equipment and even more about infectious diseases of all kinds if you have any questions for netech or ideas for future shows please feel free to contact us at info@netech.org at that's I-N-F-O at N-E-T-E-C dot O-R-G. Or find us on the web at netec.org slash podcast, where you can subscribe to future episodes and find more information on today's topic. We will see you next time on Transmission Interrupted.
0: You've been listening to Transmission Interrupted, the podcast series from NETEC, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center. Learn more at netec.org.